This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. As you are no doubt aware, at least we hope you are aware from at least, if nothing else, listening to this program, there was a total solar eclipse on the 21st of August. It entered, it crossed the United States and got a lot of press. Uh, people seem to be intrigued by the fact that it was this quote-unquote American eclipse. It, it crossed United States of America and didn't make land fall anywhere else. So it was, it was, it was our eclipse in, its, in some sort of strange way. We are big advocates of eclipses, viewing them, as, as you are no doubt aware, my dear listener. If you've been a listener for a while, you know that we traveled to see one on the 13th of November in 2012, which took place in Cairns, Australia. That's where we picked up our Australian correspondent, Pamela Taylor, who managed to make it to North America, her first trip to the Western Hemisphere, for this last one. So we have a lot to talk about in terms of uh, maybe comparing and contrasting eclipses and the United States of America versus Australia and who knows what. And it is our great pleasure to be able to say, and this is now live here in studio, welcome back to Radio Parallax, Pamela Taylor. Thank you for having me. Isn't that that accent just lovely? Well, first of all, I think the point I think we need to make which was not made by you or I on the expedition that was thrown together to Oregon, but by another friend who said that, you know, she'd heard that, you know, she'd heard about eclipses and she'd seen them before and they were partials, 90%, and she didn't see what the big deal was that it had to be 100%. And I think, uh, well, would you, like to, would you like to comment on that? I'm sure you would. It's a world of difference. I wouldn't even bother with a partial. <laughs> So, someone summarized it as the difference between a partial eclipse and a total eclipse is the difference between wow and holy crap that kind of difference and the truth is until the sun disappears it's daylight it's still daylight i i was thinking about that how how to describe it as someone who's never seen either in fact and i would think that a partial is when you're having fun on a date with someone you really like <laughs> Right, but then a totality is when you're looking into the eyes of someone you're in love with, who's in love with you. All right, I'll, I think that's that's a good summary. We there was much doom and gloom. There was much hubbub about this eclipse in Oregon. The thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, were going. Well, actually, I should point out that Mr. McMillan and I did do a scouting run last year. We picked Madras, Oregon, as the most likely spot to see a good eclipse. And in the meantime, during the last year, it turns out that NASA apparently got on board and concurred and informed the United States that if you want to pick one spot with your best odds, go to Madras, Oregon. They must have heard the broadcast of Radio Parallax a year ago. Well, I hope we do have listeners down at NASA. All right. Well, we should, maybe we should explain a little bit why Madras was, in fact, a good choice. Um, when you're going to select your location for eclipses, and, and you should do this, dear listener, although... Fred Espinak at NASA has already done it for you. You just need to go look it up. There's two things you want. You want to be on the center line of the eclipse, and you want good weather. Because unfortunately, on this last eclipse, the people that were at the much-touted point of maximal eclipse in Illinois, Carbondale, I think it was, didn't see the eclipse because it was cloudy. So you want to go where there's minimal clouds. 
Yeah, just to add to that, when I looked up the reports after the eclipse, it was only cloudy during totality in Carbondale. So, Ouch! Yeah. <laughs> yes, you hear reports about people screaming and yelling at the cloud, which happened to show up. Um, we're going to talk about future eclipses in, in a moment or two. But um, yes, if you have the possibility of being near a road where you can move horizontally in case a cloud appears. When I was in Russia... We chose a spot. I think I did tell the story on the show some years back. We chose a spot where if a cloud showed up, we could jump on the highway and move laterally. And I'll never forget during the middle of that eclipse. Middle of totality. The sky has gone dark. It's twilight around. Planets are emerging. Stars are emerging. And some knucklehead Russian was tooling down the highway, ignoring the whole thing, with his lights on because it's gotten kind of dark. He flipped his lights on. And refresh my memory, Pamela, you, you were dodging clouds than the last one down in Australia, were not? You kind of lucked out, but there was there was like clouds before, before and after. Well, how did that work for you? Yeah, it cleared just in time for totality, and it went cloudy again afterwards, so I'm very grateful to the weather that day. Now, we should note that this last one lasted about two minutes, which, which is not a long period of time, but the truth of the matter is the longest possible, theoretically possible eclipse is seven and a half minutes. And and I think that there is one that's almost that long if you can hold out till the year 2186, which, frankly, we don't think most of you can. I do have to laugh, Pamela, that you and I are both sort of saying, geez, it seemed like this one wasn't nearly as long as the one in Australia. And I, having looked it up for the purposes of broadcast, I realized, no, it wasn't as long. It was half as long. The one in Australia was four minutes. This, this was two. But it's still a good two minutes. But a major difference was that in Australia, the Cairns one at least, it was so much darker than it was here. It didn't get quite as dark. Yeah, our, our Australian eclipse um, in your hometown was early in the morning, and that I'm sure the sun was, was, was dimmer and that it contributed it. But I do have to say that this was number six for me because, let's face it, I am fully addicted to chasing these things. But um, this sky did not get very dark. There were there were a lot of forest fires up in Oregon, and my... Uh, guess is that the corona of the sun had enough light in it to to sort of light up the clouds and, and make the sky look a little pink, a little more like twilight than, well, more like twilight than deep twilight, because it never really gets, you know, like like night. As you look on the horizon, you can see like it looks like a sunset in 360 degrees, which is pretty cool. Another difference I noticed was at the Machen's Beach is, is where I witnessed the Cairns eclipse. And when it hit totality, all of the dogs in the neighbourhood were barking their heads off. However, here, well, where we were in Madras, Oregon, there were lots of dogs at the uh, the camping ground where we were staying. And they started barking at the start of, of the eclipse itself, nowhere near totality, but they only barked for a moment. Hmm. I, 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 that's one little observation I missed. So also in the Cairns eclipse, the birds just went crazy and broke apart in formation and flew in all different directions. However, in Madras, they stayed in formation mostly and left at the, at the start of the eclipse again. They didn't wait for totality. Everyone is different. You're hoping you're going to see some observations with animals, but, you know, animals are not the priority. If they're around, that's kind of cool. Uh, when I saw one in Mexico, the birds apparently started flying home to their nest. They, they, they did start returning to the roost as it got got dark. What did we had a dog on board. Didn't 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 Oscar's dog do something? Oscar started to lay down, I think, as the as as it got dark. Um saw one in Turkey right in the middle of it, a jackass started braying, which we have on tape. We'll have to work see if we can play that, Mr. McMillan. 
that's not a human jackass? Perhaps I should say donkey. <laughs> yes, I should note that Mr. Merlin took a dim view of these people whooping and hollering in mid-eclipse. So as I glanced over at him in the eclipse, I noticed he not only had placed ear protection inside his ears, he was wearing headphones. So how'd that work out for you? It worked out quite well. You know, we got to say, the people in Madras, Oregon, I want to give a, a, a compliment to them for the wonderful job they did, in particular the fact that we went to the Sunset Solar Campsite very close to where we picked the ideal spot for eclipse viewing. The farmer that owned the land had um, not planted alfalfa because I guess, I didn't know this, but I guess alfalfa is very stickery and pokes you in the feet. He planted grass and harvested that. He then watered the ground so it wasn't dusty and the grass was sort of, you know, supple. And it was really, it was really an ideal spot to, from which to view an eclipse. Yeah, he also hired security to keep everyone wrangled, but I don't think the security guards had anything to do because we were just a bunch of nerds there to observe the eclipse. There was no problem. And there's there's also these all there's a million backstories on one of these eclipses. If I can dig up a few of these, uh, I did I did enjoy talking to the owner of the property and and I explained to him that we had come there the year before. There was a, a a small bluff to the west of us called I think Round Round Bluff. And that was a really nice spot to view the eclipse because due west of that location and where we saw it was Mount Jefferson. Mount Jefferson was right on the path of totality, and there was much hope that as the Earth's, as the moon's shadow came at us from the west, you would see the volcano disappear before the area where we were at went dark, which, which did in fact happen. Something I'm also appreciative of is that Madras did not rip us off. I fully expected to be ripped off and everything to be really expensive. A bag of ice, 20 bucks. That's but, right. Yeah. That's what I was anticipating. But no, they were excellent. They were really good hosts. Thank you, Madras. <laughs> uh, and, and and the beauty of this was, although we were not perched on top of a bluff, but which, which was okay because they were, they were selling T-shirts. They had ice for sale. You, what do they have? Ice cream. They had all kinds of goodies at the campsite, and the people perched up on the bluff we had picked out as the ideal spot were, were a little cramped and uncomfortable with with no dunnies. Yeah, I don't know anyone who actually says dunny, but yes, it does mean toilet in Yes, Australian. yes, it, it does, but apparently I, I thought a dunny was like an outhouse, an outside toilet, and you've informed me that in fact uh, it's an inside toilet like like any other toilet. Yeah, I don't think I can tell you what an outhouse is really called on here, can I? No, I don't believe you can. But it starts with an S. Anyway, as it turned out, uh, Mount Jefferson did disappear, not in a very dramatic fashion. But the really cool part uh, for me was looking back at it in mid-eclipse or near the end of the eclipse from our location because the sun had arrived behind Mount Jefferson and it was backlit and it looked very cool. I took a picture of it. If it, We'll take a look, see if we can post it on our website if it, if it turned out. Um, very, very, very striking view. I hope, dear listener, you will not be discouraged by by tales of doom and gloom. Uh, we were advised on the way up that, oh my God, they've run out of gasoline. <laughs> we were thinking, do we have to get uh, gas cans to to make sure we can, you know, extend the trip uh, into Madras from, say, Klamath Falls? Well, it turned out that was that was all nonsense. We discovered on Highway Five that they can refuel it with three hours three hours notice from a phone call. Uh, nobody seemed to run out of gas. I also heard that you better stock up on water. My God, they're running out of water. I took a one picture of a pallet of I think thirteen or fourteen pallets loaded with water. They they didn't run out of water. 
Now, I can't promise that if you go to Aswan, Egypt in the year 2027, which we'll talk about in a minute, that they won't run out of water because the Egyptians may not be as well organized as they were in Madras. We'll, we'll just have to see. Plan accordingly. Now, Mr. Millen is informing me, give me the high sign here, that some places did run out of gas, but my understanding was that was for a short period of time. They were sort of stuck. Oh, this does, of course, add one little opportunity. We were thinking about getting a little extra gas container because I didn't have anything in the RV, and we stopped in the town of Williams on, on I-5. I asked the fellow in the Quickie Mart there if they had a gas can. He said, if we do, it's in the corner, sir. Before I could get to the corner, a guy next to me just interceded and said, I, I got a gas can. You do? Yeah, I'll sell it to you for five bucks. I'm thinking, uh, okay, show me. So he showed me his two and a half gallon. I'm thinking, that's worth five bucks because you can pay 20 if you want, but I'll sell it to you for five. I'm like, you got a deal, pal. And then he says, yeah, I just got cleaned out at the casino, 10,000 bucks. Thinking, well, but now you got five back. You know, it's not all bad, pal. And if you had 1,600 more gas cans, you could probably get even. Because I, I gave him, I gave him, I gave him six bucks. A warning for those of you thinking about hanging out in the casino. So, in summary, let us note that it, it, there's, there's a spectacle in the sky like nothing else you're going to see, and and it's just you you've got to plan for totality. Now, unfortunately, uh, totality does not return to the United States of America until 2024. If you like, you can go to San Antonio or Dallas-Fort Worth, and I believe all three cities are pretty close to the center line. However, giving Radio Parallax's inherent bias against the state of Texas, we are instead advising you to go to the Sonoran Desert area near Mazatlan. That's, that's our advice. And we will review uh, before we end this, uh, the, the future venues. But I do want to ask our Australian visitor, who has been in the past our Australian correspondent, uh, to share some impressions about her very first trip to the U.S. of A. Okay, so a few observations I've had coming to the U.S. for the very first time as an Australian. Uh, one, you guys are a lot more polite than I expected. <laughs> well, we're a very, we're notoriously polite what people. What the yeah. hell do you mean by that? <laughs> well, this is just it's just how you're portrayed on you know in our media over there. Then and yeah, you're a good bunch of people. Uh, another thing is that uh, although our I walked into the U.S. and our dollar was about 69 or 70 cents of yours, which is not a good time to be traveling. No, not a good time. However, things seem to be cheaper. So it's actually working out about the same. So if you do want to travel to the US, don't be put off by the exchange rate. Note to Australians. Note to Australians. Also New Zealand and, and even Canadians, because we're about the same if you look at xe.com. Another surprising thing, has, which is good, is that you guys understand my accent. Whereas I found even when I went to England and Europe, I had to repeat myself several times, but I've hardly had to repeat myself since being in the U.S. I don't know what you mean. We talk the same here. <laughs> what, what, what we talk exactly the same. What did you say? Can you repeat that? <laughs> well, I don't know what accent he's doing. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that bad, really. Also, my three-year-old daughter who made the trek with me has been asking me, Mummy, where are the snakes? You know, this is a bit of a surprise. You have, you have that many snakes. Where are the snakes? Well, there you have it, right from the three-year-old's mouth. She's wondering, where are the snakes? And and we do have snakes in America, but I guess... They're usually on planes. I, I, <laughs> man, I am tired of these snakes on this plane. I, I, well, Pamela, I mean, when you're in your backyard in Kansas, is, is, is seeing a snake an everyday experience? 
Pretty much, yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's They're harmless, though. You know, you get the odd python on the roof when you're trying to sunbathe, or you go climbing a tree to get some fruit out of your backyard. You're saying most are harmless. You always get this reputation that Australians get, you're bitten by a snake in Australia, you're dead. Well, they're not bite. I've only been ever bitten once, and that was in 1996, and I survived. All right. Wasn't a poisonous snake, we presume. Or it just didn't release it. <laughs> you're not sure whether it was or wasn't? Wow. Well, suffice it to say, darkness in the middle of the day is a cool, cool thing. And looking forward to those of you who are not able to make the trek. And I, unfortunately, some of our party, or potentially in our party, we talked about coming for one reason or another, could not actually make it. We, we do feel bad. But never fear. They come around regularly like streetcars. The next total solar eclipse is on the 2nd of July, 2019. That's just two years away. You will, however, have to travel for this one. In fact, most of this entire eclipse uh, is out in the middle of the South Pacific Ocean. It does, however, lucky for us, make landfall in Chile. And looks like a bit of Argentina. So if you've never visited South America, that might be a good time to do so. If you missed that one, speaking of South America, they get another one. On the 14th of December in 2020, that one swings right across, looks like Patagonia. That, however, is a two-minute duration. The one that's in July, of course, keeping in mind July is winter down there, is a four-minuter. But the one you really want to mark on your calendar, two you need to mark on your calendar for future reference, are the aforementioned 2024 eclipse, which starts out uh, somewhere south of the equator, swings up through Mazatlan across the Sonoran Desert, hits Texas, uh, and oddly enough, crosses very closely to the maximum point of eclipse on this last one in Carbondale, Illinois. Let's hope they get to see that one. For those of you thinking about getting married during the eclipse, uh, of course, <laughs> Niagara Falls is, <laughs> is a place where a lot of folks go and get hitched. It's on the center line, folks, just, just in case you want to tie those two things together in the future. Note to those who have never been to Niagara Falls, the Canadian side is, is a better set of falls than the American. But they're both. They're both, of course, very cool. But if you're really planning to travel to see an eclipse, and you should be, hopefully we whet your appetite somewhat for this, the real, the real show is going to be on the 2nd of August in the year 2027. You will have to travel to Egypt. Well, you don't have to travel to Egypt, but if you want to get the maximum point of eclipse, you will be in Egypt, uh, although it looks like it passes right over Gibraltar, right over Tunisia, um, and, of course, points in between. But it looks like the center line for this one, and this one is a 6-minute and 22-second eclipse, which is three times as long as what we just saw in Oregon. Looks like it just goes right over Aswan in Egypt, which is probably a very good place to hang out anyway. So, we're going to be there. I'm hoping, in fact, our entire eclipse posse of, what was it, 13 people will be able to make that trek to Egypt. It'll work out a little bit of planning, but, hey, that's 10 years away. I think we can do this. And if you look on the web, you'll find all kinds of sites that will show you all of the eclipses that are coming to North America over the next, I think, 20, 21st century. Our, our good friend Donald Rose pulled up such a site. You might want to check that out. If you're 10 years old, hey, you might be checking out an eclipse in the year 2099. And although I'm going to try and eat a lot of brown rice, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to make it to that one. But of course, it does so happen that Chelsea, our three-year-old participant, may, in fact, be able to be around for that one at age, what, 86? Uh, hopefully so. Now, we do want to note that was, we kind of dodged a bullet on this eclipse. Mr. McMillan had been sleeping one off. 
But lucky for him, we were able to arouse him sufficiently to get up and actually take in the uh, celestial event. And I thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> yeah, I just add to that that I don't think I would travel for one less than two minutes. It's beautiful, but that that two minutes felt like twenty seconds. It to did me. go by fast. So but, anything less. But I, come on, <laughs> you wouldn't go a minute of that instead of two. You still wouldn't. Well, you did come a long, long way. That's Not with true. a three-year-old. <laughs> All right, that's true. You did. You did come. Halfway around the world, really. It was absolutely worth it, the 25 hours in change on planes with a three-year-old for those two minutes. I'm just saying I wouldn't do it for anything less. At the Jefferson County Fairgrounds in, in Madras, they had a large world map with pushpins where people could show where they were from. And uh, boy, people did come from all, literally all over the world, assuming that the push... You know, I'm not sure somebody came from Kerguelen Island. There was a pushpin there. I think the kid put that one there. Nevertheless, it does appear that Pamela was certainly in the top 10 of participants in how far she came. Uh, we, we would note that there is an annular slash total eclipse. Some of them are a hybrid, it's called. The width of the Earth makes enough difference in some instances to turn an eclipse from being an annular where the moon doesn't quite cover up the sun. As the Earth rotates and you get 4,000 miles closer to the moon... It actually makes enough difference to make it total. There will be one of those on 20 of April, 2023. It looks as though the maximum point of totality will be on the island of Timor, Pamela. <laughs> Not far from you. Yeah, I should be able to make that one. And you're going to get a minute. Uh, you're going to get a minute 16. I think you should make that one. Yeah, that's only about a five-hour flight. That's all right. All right. And by the way, our my good friends Bill. And Brian from Fresno, with whom I viewed the annular eclipse in Reading, which we reported on Radio Parallax, uh, came up for this event, and they had a great time as well. Um, there is an annular on 14th October 2023 that will pass through Oregon again, oddly enough. And it looks like through southern Utah, New Mexico. Um, they're not as good as a total, but they're interesting, and you may want to consider seeing one of those as well. I think we've shilled pretty well for uh, <laughs> for witnessing total eclipses. There are two types of people on the planet right now. People who have seen a totality and people who have not. You're right about that. I think everyone needs to see one in their lifetime, at least. Which is a Stevie Wonder. Oh, poor Stevie Wonder. That's a wonderful addendum, by the way, to the Robert Benchley comment that there are two types of people in the world. Those that divide people up into groups of two and those who do not. And clearly, we know which group Pamela's in. Ah, but I think we're in that same group as well. <laughs> and, of course, Mr. Merlin does remind us, since we're talking about pithy phrases of the scene in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, wherein Clint Eastwood informs Eli Wallach that there are two types of people in the world, those with guns and those who dig, as he hands him the shovel. Yes, so we, we, do, we do want to thank Eli Wallach for having appeared on this show some years back, which is available in our archives at radioparallax.com. Other people we need to thank are Dr. Roger Orman and his lovely wife Holly from Murphy's, California. He was getting a little bit nervous. I probably would have just struck for the round bluff. He was saying, we should get a campsite, don't you think? And I'm like, yeah. Which one's the closest one to where you were last time? Well, this one's Sunrise Solar. Roger said, I'm going to book it. He did, and... That was great, because Mr. Merlin was able to join us. Our new friend Oscar Watson joined the party, so we had an RV, a truck with a camper, and two cars, which the campground allowed you to have a car. So that all worked out very well. 
And, you know, I also should thank uh, our good friend Sharon, who I don't think don't, don't, doesn't want us to use her, her last name, but uh, she was a whiz at whipping up food for the group. She decided to take that upon herself, and that made the trip a whole lot nicer. But we, we had a really good division of labor and who was specializing in, in various areas for the expedition. And on account of that, it all turned out well. Well, I shouldn't say completely well. There was, there was a bit of a rebellion on the day of the eclipse when everybody else except this correspondent, thought it would be a good idea to strike for home. I was heavily lobbied to pull up stakes and leave that night, and I just said, I'm not going anywhere till tomorrow morning. And Mr. McMillan, I think you can testify to the fact that attempting to get back early when everyone's done with the eclipse did not pan out. Yes, I think you got like 27 miles and then turned around and came back to the campground. Was that right? the exact mileage but we were in a car for two hours and it was turned into a parking lot with no sign of movement so we decided to come back to the caviar i was lobbied into doing it very very severely well there you have it the only two voices of reason apparently were the radio parallax contingent well i succumbed and you didn't so i guess you get uh, you get mad props for that i had no one gets mad props for anything (laughs) But luckily, I had the keys and you didn't. I think that was the difference. And we were able to... Actually, our party was joined by a lovely woman from San Bernardino who decided at the last minute, what the heck, her small daughter, I think age five, should see one, she should see one. And they uh, they jumped in their little car and, and drove up with very little preparation. Now, luckily, we, Mr. Millen was on the scene, as was Oscar, to help them get at least a tarp set up around their car. But very brave move on her part, and she certainly did not regret having made that long journey from Southern California. A very gutsy move indeed. And I think on the way back, uh, you guys helped rescue them. They had a flat tire. They did. We met up with her again, on, unfortunately, on the freeway, but uh, we did uh, get her sorted out and on the way, and I think that uh, we have someone who will probably be around for a while. I think she joined the posse. I think she joined the posse. We'll give a shout-out to her. Will you stop using that word? Just chill. <laughs> yeah, new policy. Other, other, other radio shows are free to use the term, quote-unquote, shout-out. I think we're going to refrain here on Parallax. And chill? And chill is out the window. Mad props? Stop! All right, as we wrap this up, we do, of course, have to ask our Australian correspondent how the Fosters in America compares to the Fosters back in Australia. I couldn't tell you. I've never tasted it in either country. I'm not even sure if it's sold in Australia. Wow. Wow. You're not saying we've been misled by America's favorite Australian, Paul Hogan. <laughs> Advertising being misleading? No, Hard never. to imagine. Crikey. Yeah, no one says crikey. So we were also misled by Steve Irwin. Oh, my God. The Australian icons are falling. Radio Parallax rips the lid off the Australian conspiracy against America. Well, it's clear that before her next appearance on the show, we're going to have to pour some Fosters into Pamela. Yeah, I'll try it. Yes, I, 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 do, I do believe that, uh, well, they do, they do drink more down under than they do here, don't they? Apparently, not me personally, but yes. I, I see, all right. Well, research will continue in this, in this area. 
I was told a few years ago by a, a US soldier who was in Iraq that he was drinking Fosters with the Australian soldiers. So we were shipping the Fosters that wasn't selling in Australia over to our poor soldiers and making them drink it in, <laughs> in Iraq, as if the war wasn't bad enough. Well... It appears the question of whether Foster's Lager is good or bad beer is something that Radio Parallax is now going to have to undertake. All right, I think we've talked this through. Uh, let's take a break. Pamela will be in America a little bit longer. We expect to have her back on soon. But, uh, hey, welcome to a live appearance here on the show and, and uh, the Western Hemisphere. Thank you. It's been fun. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I think we'll take a break.